Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Gary Alloway. Okay, so tonight is the second Sunday of Advent, and we are going through Old Testament passages that point to Jesus and that Jesus fulfills. If you were here last week, Marjorie looked at Isaiah 40 for us. Tonight we are looking at Ezekiel 37, the Valley of the Dry Bones. So how many of us like the book of Ezekiel? It's like, you know, you're like, yeah, Ezekiel, that's my favorite book in the Bible. Anyone? Ezekiel, probably for not many people, it's their favorite book. In my opinion, it's one of the three hardest books in the Bible to read. Um, It uses a lot of really wild imagery. Ezekiel spends several chapters giving you the exact dimensions of the restored temple, which is not exciting reading. Um, And it's a long book, too, so it's kind of a triple whammy, which means that a lot of us never actually read this book, which is a shame, because if you actually dig in, you find some of the most beautiful imagery about God's plan to restore Israel and God's plan to restore all of humanity. And one of those passages is tonight. Um, So I don't know if we'll ever do a sermon series on Ezekiel, but when we talked about doing passages that point to Jesus, I was like, ooh, dry bones, dry bones. We finally get to do a sermon on that one. So who is Ezekiel? Um, If you don't know anything about Ezekiel, he was an Israelite priest. He was born in 623 B.C., And during his lifetime, he saw Israel move toward God under Josiah, only to fall back immediately upon the death of King Josiah. And ultimately, Israel would get carried into exile by the Babylonians. And Ezekiel was actually part of the first wave of Israelites that were brought into exile in 593 BC. But while he was in exile there, he has this series of mystical visions of God uh, while while he's in Babylon, including this vision of the glory of God leaving the temple before it is destroyed, the glory of God actually leaving the temple so that it can be destroyed. And Ezekiel would have seen the kings of Judah killed. He would have seen the temple destroyed. He would have seen the Israelites scattered to the four winds, exiled and scattered among the nations, and far away from the land and from the presence of God. So Ezekiel lives in a time of great hopelessness, right? Like this is the beginning of the exile when everything has just been destroyed. And there's real questions of like, is Israel going to even survive? Will Israel live on? Will this nation, this covenant even like exist going forward? And this, this hopelessness, this like loss is reflected in this passage, the Valley of the Dry Bones. You guys know this passage? It's probably the most famous passage in the book of Ezekiel. And it starts off like this. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. So question, why are the bones dry? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it right, bones that are dry, right, have been sitting for a while. They, they no longer have flesh on them. The marrow is dried out of them. They're like dead, dead, right? 
And that matters for imagery. There's, there's nothing left. There's, it's not, this is not Jesus raising Lazarus where he's still basically intact. This, these bones are dead, dead. And when we push on this image, we realize it's even worse. The bones are unburied. And you know what that means? They're unclean. By Levitical law, they're unclean. They're outside the presence of God. So not only are the people not long dead, they've died in shame and been left to rot in disgrace. And lastly, how many bones are there? A lot, a valley full, right? And this is symbolic, right? It, it, it's not a few lost souls. It's not a tragic death. They represent the nation, the nation of Israel, whole people, the whole people of Israel lost, long dead, rotting in shame. And as Israel says about itself in verse 11, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we are cut off. So as we think about a passage like Ezekiel 37 and we try and put ourselves into it, as we think about how this might apply to us, the valley of the dry bones, right? These are the situations that are long dead. The situations that feel like there's no real hope, the situations that are rotting in shame. The valley of the dry bones is the marriage that's completely collapsed, the friend who loses job after job and can't get it right, the neighborhood that everyone has left for dead, the political situation that seems like it can't be solved is the area of sin and shame that you can't possibly imagine being redeemed. Can you think of the things like that in your life? Maybe it's an internal reality for you, a place long dead that is rotting in shame. Or part of your family that is so dead, there's no flesh left on it, no marrow left in the bones. Where is the place you've given up on the people you think are irredeemable? Maybe it's your faith. You've long given up on having any real relationship with God. It's a valley of dry bones. Maybe it's been dead so long you no longer even think about it. And like everyone else, you say, our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, and we are cut off. Can you relate to the valley of the dry bones? So Ezekiel sees this image, right? He, he sees this valley of the dry bones. And then God asks Ezekiel an interesting question. Anybody remember what he asked him? Yeah. He says, Son of man, can these bones live? And son of man is just a fancy way of saying human, but son of man, can these bones live? And the simple answer to that question is what? No. No, right? Yeah, I mean, like, the, the bones that no longer have even flesh on them, of course they can't live. They're dead. They're dead like really dead. So of course the reasonable answer is no. That answer is accurate. You might look at that failed marriage or that situation of despair, that place that is beyond hope. And if you were asked, son of man, can these bones live? You'd be perfectly reasonable to say no. 
that said some of our, us are optimists, right? And I imagine we'd have a different response. When God asked, Son of Man, can these bones live? We'd say, of course they can, and we'd start getting to work. Let me get on my glue, and I think I can stitch it back together. If we just work harder, we can make these bones live. Nothing a little hard work and belief in yourself can't solve, right? But I love how Ezekiel answers. God asks some son of man, can these bones live? And what's he say? The sovereign Lord, you alone know. What is impossible for men is possible for God. This might seem like a passive response, like Ezekiel's kind of saying, pass, right? But what he's doing is opening his hands to the will of God. He sees that the dry bones will only live in a power greater than anything in this world. It's not just a matter of hard work or optimism. Something greater has to come. It is only in God that the dry bones can live again. And it's a reminder to us that when we face situations to despair, our response should not be hopelessness, nor should it be busyness, right? But our first response should be to open our hands to the will of God and let a power greater than ourselves come in. On our own, resurrection is impossible. God alone can make the dry bones live. And again, the type A part of you might say, yeah, but we need to do stuff, right? Not just have faith. And Ezekiel does. He's the one who prophesies to the breath, and he's the one that prophesies to the bones. But his activity comes on the other side of faith. Do you see that difference? He opens his hands to God first, and then allows God to put him to work. He goes out not in optimism or self-belief, but in the calling and spirit of God. And so this passage pushes on both our hopelessness and our busyness. Can the dry bones live? Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Can these dry bones live? Sovereign Lord, you alone know. In the face of dry bones, we open our hands to God's power, to God's breath. And there we let God call us into the resurrection. What is impossible for man is possible for God. This verse 9 says, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. Amen? Amen. Now that said... Some of us kind of believe this story, but it looks more like this. Anyone who's online, I have a nice slide up here. The Valley of the Dry Bones, with a little speech bubble coming down saying, you are forgiven. <laughs> we receive God's forgiveness, which is great, but we basically remain dead, dry bones. We are forgiven, but we are still rotting in shame. We are forgiven, but we basically believe that God still hates us. We are forgiven, which is our path to heaven, but that's the end of the gospel for us. But this is not the story of Ezekiel 37. 
God doesn't just offer forgiveness to the dry bones. He stitches them back together, bone by bone, tendon by tendon. It's this wonderfully, wonderfully physical vision, right? It reminds us that salvation is never just this kind of ethereal reality. But that God actually wants to fix stuff. God's salvation is actually meant to sew things back together, like physically, even in the here and now. And it's not just bringing them back to the status quo, right? God doesn't just glue the old thing back together. God pours his spirit into these recreated bodies and puts new life into them. There's this word that shows up over and over in this passage, and it's, uh, it's hard to fully capture all that's happening here because it's a really tricky Hebrew word to translate, and it's this word, ruach. If you get into Hebrew, this word, it's the same word that means breath or wind or spirit. And it can mean all three of those things. And it's hard to translate because it can, you, you can, should kind of feel all three of those when you see this word. So this image over here on the right, what, uh, you guys uh, have a guess of what that is? That's the spirit of God hovering over the waters at creation or the breath of God, or the wind of God. And if you were to turn over one chapter from that, you would find Adam pulled out of the mud. And when God pulls him out of the mud, what does he do next to him? He breathes into him. The spirit of God goes into Adam. And again, the breath or the spirit, it's the same word. Before that, Adam has a physical body, just like all the other animals. But after that, there's something different. There is something of God alive and active in him. He's filled with the Spirit of God, filled with the breath of God, filled with the life of God. And so when we read this passage in Ezekiel 37, we should realize that what Ezekiel is doing is retelling this story. He's telling the creation story again. These bodies, right, they, they come out of the bones and the flesh comes on them. And after they are, they are brought up, like they're not just physical bodies, but what does God do? He pulls Israel out of the dust, and then he breathes his breath into them. Prophesy to the breath, prophesy some men, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they And I think this is so valuable, right? Because so often we think of salvation as just like kind of coming back to zero, kind of just getting back to the land, kind of just receiving forgiveness and that's it. But there's something so much more. God wants to lift them up and pour his spirit into them until they become something new altogether. In verse 10, it says they're raised up as a vast army, right? A people with a purpose, a people with a calling, a people with good news to be carried out into the world. Israel isn't just brought back to the status quo. They're actually being raised up into something new. A people who again take up this covenant calling to be the light of the world. So this takes some imagination on our parts. We have to go back to our dry bones. Whether it's something inside of us or something in our world or something all around us. And imagine this story. Imagine God not just forgiving it, not just healing it, 
and not destroying it, but actually recreating it, pulling it out of the mud and pouring his breath into it till something new is born. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine God taking your places of despair, the places that have been given up upon, the valley of the dry bones, the very valley of dry bones, and raising it up into something entirely new? And again, God doesn't hit the reset button. He doesn't destroy Israel and call a new people. He raises them up. He raises Israel up. He raises you and me up. He doesn't destroy us in that process, but resurrects us into something new. Again, I think this takes some imagination. Those places we thought of as so lost, we think of them shamefully, we bury them deep, we do not want to think about them. But imagine, imagine God doing something new and using even the valley of the dry bones for something beautiful. And there's a reason we don't think of this way, right? There's a reason we buried these things. There's a reason we don't want to think about them because on our own, this vision is impossible. And it's foolish to believe otherwise. Son of man, can these bones live? Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And this is the promise of Ezekiel 37, that God doesn't just want to forgive the dry bones. God wants to put flesh on them, to make new bodies and to fill them with his life, his breath, his spirit, to raise them up for a beautiful purpose, to reflect his glory and to take part in the coming kingdom of God. So whatever your valley of the dry bones is, imagine it becoming a new Garden of Eden. Imagine your dry bones being turned into something beautiful, something that screams of God's redemption story. This is the good news of Ezekiel 37, that God is making all things new, even bones that are rotting in shame. So go back to your dry bones and imagine God making even that thing to reflect his glory. Amen. And again, we are in Advent. And we get to think about the story in light of the coming of Christ. And I feel like we could spend hours talking about how Jesus fulfills this wonderful vision. There's so many different angles to it. It's such a deep, rich passage that, that Ezekiel has given us. But I feel what I want to say is kind of this. is like the whole story of Jesus kind of sits on top of this passage. God sees the valley of the dry bones, right? And he doesn't destroy it or stand off. God doesn't pronounce forgiveness from afar, but God enters in. 
He doesn't leave the valley of the dry bones alone, but enters in even to the uncleanness, right? Again, we always think that like, oh, God's so holy, sin can't stand in his presence. But here we have God entering immediately smack into the middle of the ugliness. So you don't have to be afraid to let Jesus into those places. And Jesus enters in at Christmas into the muck and into the mire. And as Jesus grows and begins his ministry, he calls his disciples and he says, come follow me. He takes the bones and he starts to put them back together. He shows them a new way to live and flesh begins to come on the dry bones and there was a noise, a rattling sound and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. And the disciples kind of get it, right? They kind of get it. Their resurrected body is called into something new, but something is still missing as they seek to follow Jesus. And they stumble their way through Jesus' life and death and even resurrection. But finally, when Jesus is about to leave this world, he breathes on them. We might not know John's version of Pentecost. It kind of gets overshadowed by the more dramatic version in Acts. But if you read the book of John, when you get to the end, uh, the, the disciples are gathered together in a locked room and they're sharing a meal after the resurrection and suddenly Jesus appears. And it says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And then this is what Jesus says to them. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then he breathed on them. He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. It's the creation story again. Jesus pulled the disciples up out of the muck. He's given them this new, this new life. And now he breathes on them. The very breath of God, the very life of God. And he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. He gives them a new purpose, a new mission. They aren't just forgiven for the sake of being forgiven, but called out to bring the healing and hope of God into every dark corner in this world. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven, right? This radical mission of healing to go out and declare the forgiveness of God into every dark place in the world. Jesus breathes on them, and the disciples, the clumsy doofuses, right, who abandoned Jesus just a few days earlier, they have the breath of life poured in them, the Spirit of God poured onto them. They're made alive in a different sort of way. God doesn't destroy their humanity but resurrects it into something new. And like Ezekiel says, they become the army of God, right? Not an army of bloodshed or of the sword, but a host set out like Jesus in radical love, self-denial, and the cross. Not with human enemies, but called out to defeat the power of sin in the world, to rescue all of humanity from the oppression of sin, and to take part in God's great mission of making all things new. And the disciples, like us, are called into the valley of the dry bones. Not to be people of hopelessness or even optimism. 
but to declare that in Christ, even the driest of bones can live. As I read this passage this week, I couldn't think but help but think of our relationship to Bristol, the town of Bristol. I'll close with this. I remember when we first came to Bristol, it was like the valley of the dry bones. Anyone who's around Bristol in 2009, I know Jeremy, you grew up around here. You might remember the narratives that people had around a place like Bristol Borough. When people talked about uh, Bristol, that was the reply, it's dead. It's like dead, dead. The flesh isn't even on the bones anymore. The marrow is gone. A spirit of hopelessness had fallen on this place. And like Israel, people would say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. And we were cut off. And we were the ones stupid enough to believe that God could do a new thing here. Um, one of our slogans we've used over the years, I had to go back to this, we haven't used it a whole lot recently, is breathing new life into Bristol Borough. I thought about this because I never really connected to this to Ezekiel 37, but there it is. Breathing new life into Bristol Borough. And if I'm honest, we probably came in with a little bit more optimism than we should have, thinking that we had enough charm, we had enough talent on our own. If we just worked harder, then we would see the bones come back together. There was a lot of frustration in those early years. The bones didn't just come back together because we were awesome. And the reality is we probably needed to be humbled to come to that place of Ezekiel. Can these dry bones live? Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And I can speak for myself that something changed when it went from we just need to work harder to Sovereign Lord, you alone know. When we came to that place of humility and surrender unto God, the Spirit of God came, the breath of God came, the life of God came. As I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. It took some time, right? But the bones came to, came, started to come back together, and then the tendons, and then the flesh. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. And one day I turned around and Bristol was alive again. There were shops and stores and activity. There were young people. There was creativity. There was hope. What had been dead was alive again. Now, I'm not saying that Bristol's perfect, far from it, but God took what was dead and like dead, dead, right? Like a valley of dry bones rotting in shame dead, and he made it alive again. Amen? And it's funny because I've lived through this, right? I even got to be Ezekiel in this story in a lot of ways. 
But I look at my street and I say, well, that can't come back to life. And I look at some of the family situations in Bristol and say, that's too big of a mess. And I look at the messes in my own life and I still bury them, assuming I will go to the grave with those things unredeemed. And part of my hopelessness is because I attack these things in my own effort, in my own strength, right? Thinking that if only on my own, or on my own, I can't make these dry bones live. And so I give up. But this is the challenge from this week, from this passage, like Ezekiel, to open our hands. Son of man, can these dry bones live? Sovereign Lord, you alone know. I invite you into every situation of hopelessness, of shame, of despair, Say those words. Can these dry bones live? Sovereign Lord, you alone know. To open your hands, let the breath of God come. And it may take some time, right? The bones might have to come together, the tendons, the flesh. I truly believe that if you allow God to do this in you, one day you'll turn around and the dry bones will be alive. And all of Israel will be raised up as a great army of God. Even the darkest places in us will be raised up to reflect the glory of God. sinners like you and me can be resurrected and made alive and set out to take part in the great mystery that is the coming kingdom of God where all things are being made new. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org. 